Hashem cries out in despair to rip out the Nazir's hair. Our bones will be exposed to the stars. The knowledge of God is the only thing that's ours. And so this week's Torah reading is Parshat Tzav. And very interestingly, we read an unusual Haftorah because this Haftorah, um, the, the, the um, Torah reading of Parshat Tzav normally coincides with Shabbos Hagadol, the Shabbat before um, the the Shabbat before uh, Pesach starts, or on a leap year, it normally uh, coincides with either Parshat Zachor that we had last week and Parshat Para that we're going to have next week. So very rarely is this particular Haftorah read, but fortunately it's read this year, so I get to share it with you. So this Haftorah is in the book of Yirmiya, and the Haftorah is really quite dark. So the, the Torah reading of Parshat Sav is, again, uh, quite a bit about the um, the way to bring different carbono, uh, different um, you know offerings and sacrifices to the Beit HaMikdash. Um, and this Haftorah almost makes a mockery of that, sort of shockingly. So we'll get into exactly why that is. So the Haftorah begins by saying, by Hashem telling the Jewish people, add your korban ola to, to your shlamim and, and eat their meat. So what's so surprising about this is the korban ola is uh, prohibited to eat. You, the, it, it says in the Torah, you're not allowed to eat the korban ola. The korban ola is entirely burned, entirely consumed by fire. Ola means like to go up. Um, so it, the, the Korban Ola is entirely consumed by fire and sort of brought up in flames. And a person is not allowed to eat any of that meat that is burned. And the Shalamim, the commentaries say the Shalamim is the peace offering. And the Shalamim, the people uh, stopped bringing peace offerings because it didn't bring atonement. The Korban Ola and the Korban Chata, those actually bring atonement uh, and and repentance, you know, to, to people. But the the um, Shalomim was just a peace offering. It really sort of the people felt like it was sort of useless, basically, because it didn't bring atonement. It was useless. So they stopped bringing it and just uh, basically ate, ate the meat without, you know, uh, just shechted the meat and ate it without actually bringing it as a sacrifice. And basically what Hashem is, is telling the, the Jewish people here is the Korban Ola also, even though the Korban Ola does bring atonement, um, it, it basically, it only brings atonement if it's sincere, that sincerity is essential to Teshuvah. So for example, um, a, a, key, a key example of this is if a person you know, does some kind of sin during the year and says, you know what, I'll do an extra little repentance for what I'm going to do now on Yom Kippur. The commentaries say that that's actually not a valid, even when you get to Yom Kippur and you, and you do, uh, um, and, and, you know, you, you try to do the repentance, uh, sort of the steps to repentance, it's not a valid repentance because you basically planned on doing it 
on on you planned on you know doing the sin because you're going to repent for it later. It wasn't a sincere uh, repentance, and so to hear that basically the korban ola, uh, God is saying it's not you know to to bring the korban ola to ask for forgiveness, um, but your heart isn't really in it. Uh, you're not doing things on the you know it's it's just an external sacrifice. It's not uh, internal, and. So Hashem's saying it's better off that you don't even burn all of it and you just eat it. Uh, even though you're traditionally, again, not allowed to eat the Corbinola because it was entirely burned, uh, basically, if it's going to be insincere, then forget about the whole thing altogether. Um, that's what that's what God says. So the Corbinola, which is traditionally you know, forbidden to eat, God says eat it. That uh, basically, if you're going to bring it insincerely, don't bring it at all. Uh, fascinating teaching there. Okay, so... Um, uh, so the Haftorah goes on and it says, I didn't command your ancestors to bring sacrifices. Only I commanded them that I will be a God for them. And, um, what's, you know, interesting, as I mentioned last week, that the idea of, um, a Korban is sort of to draw close. So basically God is saying here, if the Jewish people are just bringing these korbanot as sort of like a by rote or or just because they think they're going to get atonement, but not really to to draw themselves close to God, then basically it's saying forget about all these sacrifices. Um, and one of the commentaries on the Haftorah talks about how uh, it's true that when the Jewish people left Egypt, they were not immediately told about how to bring sacrifices. Um, you know, the the uh, Torah portion of Mishpatim is before these Torah portions here of, for example, this week's Parsha of Parsha Tzav, because um, Mishpatim is all about interpersonal laws. It's all about what to do when someone steals, what to do, uh, you know, if someone is a slave, what to do if, you know, an animal is struggling, how to take care of the um, the less fortunate, the poor, uh, the widows, the orphans, all of those interpersonal laws in the Torah sort of come first. And in fact, one of the commentaries on the uh, Torah portion of Mishpatim, the Torah portion starts by saying, uh, and meaning before them. And basically, one of the commentaries say what this means is that Lifnehem is that the interpersonal laws come first, come before the laws of the, um, the, the laws relating to the korbanot, because basically only in the context of those interpersonal laws are you able to sincerely bring a korban for its intended purpose to draw yourself close to God. But basically, if you're not bringing it, if, if, if you don't have those interpersonal laws down, the later in Yermia, um, not in our Haftorah, but later in the same book of Yermia, um, the uh, prophet Yermia is criticizing the Jewish people and basically saying outside of the Beit HaMikdash, inside the Beit HaMikdash, you're bringing all of these tremendous offerings and, you know, d- doing everything right. But outside of the Beit HaMikdash, you're murdering, you're stealing, you're doing, ad- uh, you know, uh, adultery, all these, all these sins. And basically, you go in the temple, you do your thing, and then you immediately leave and you do all these all these sins. And basically, Yermia is saying all the things that you're doing in the Beit Migdash is fake and it's not worth anything. And that's basically uh, the, the point here is that the Jewish people, they didn't take those interpersonal laws 
that were found in Mishpatim seriously enough, they only took these later laws seriously. And, um, and, and interestingly, the Haftorah says, your ancestors didn't listen, but they followed their evil heart. They went backwards, not forwards. It says the, um, uh, Vayahu la'acher velo lefanim, being that they went backwards, they didn't go forwards. And the point being there is that, um, the Jewish people, they basically, they, the, the 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 Jewish people instead of moving forwards instead of first looking at the at the at all the laws found in Parshat Mishpatim all those interpersonal laws how to treat people right all of those were ignored and instead the Jewish people sort of skipped ahead to bringing the korbanot but they missed the entire point without those foundational stepping stones of the interpersonal laws these lofty ideas of bringing kor, uh, korban is uh, pointless and in fact. Uh, it's so pointless that it actually, instead of bringing you forward, it actually brings you backwards if you don't have the right foundation. And uh, and that's perhaps why God ultimately decided to destroy the Beit HaMikdash because it wasn't being used in the right way. It you know it has the it has immense potential to be used in the right way if all those interpersonal laws found in Parshat Mishpatim are are followed correctly. But when they're not followed correctly, and you're just bringing, uh, you know, uh, a korban without doing any of the other things, then that insincerity is so useless that God is willing to sort of destroy His own home, so to speak, namely the Beit Hamikdash, um, and 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 basically, you know, God is willing to sort of wash His hands of His own home of the Beit Hamikdash if it means that b- because the Jewish people were basically using the Beit Hamikdash as a way to sort of try to feel better about themselves, but not actually doing it with sincerity. Um, so, okay, moving on in the Haftorah, um, Chabad actually does not read this, but uh, the Ashkenazi people, uh, General Ashkenazi Shult does. So um, the Haftorah says that that uh, you should tear out the hair of a Nazir. So just a little bit of background, the Nazir is someone that would vow to grow out their long hair and to not drink wine and to not be around dead bodies, basically lots of different types of restraint um, that the Nazir would take upon himself. And, um, and, and, and the Haftorah shockingly says, it's better to tear out the hair of the Nazir and throw his hair away. The hair of the Nazir is his, like, is his, is his defining feature. That's what the Nazir is known for, is his long hair. And basically, this Haftorah is saying that people in Yermia's time were sort of so insincere that they would pretend to be a Nazir. They would grow out their hair, they would look the part, but it was so insincere that basically it was better that uh, you just rip their hair out of their head and throw it in the trash as opposed to because they weren't they weren't following sort of the essence of the nazir the essence of the nazir is a, a form of repentance it's a form of sort of piety but if it's if you're doing it for false piety then the haftorah is saying it's better to rip out that person's hair and throw it in the garbage because that's how basically useless the idea of the nazir is if it's not if it's not sort of being done in the right context and perhaps that's why you know, the, in the Torah, when it talks about a Nazir, it says that the Nazir brings a korban chatas at the end of his, um, you know, once he's done being a Nazir. And the commentaries say he brings a korban chatas, um, which is basically a sin offering, because it was a sin for that person to sort of uh, withdraw from physical pleasures like wine. 
And because it was, a, and, and that's basically the point here that the, these, not these, um, that, that uh, Anazir in that, in the period, in the time period of Yermia were not doing it seriously. They weren't doing it sincerely. And as a result, sort of, uh, it was all just for show. And basically it was better that the Nazir has his defining feature, the fact that he grows out his hair. Uh, it's better that his defining feature is ripped off of his head and thrown in the garbage than people thinking that the Nazir is being sincere. Um, so, so definitely some harsh uh, criticism. Moving on, so it, the the Haftorah says uh, that the people they would put uh, basically idols, idolatry uh, in the Beit Hamikdash itself, and they would even burn their own. The Jewish people they would burn their own children to Topet, who Topet was um, sort of along the same lines as the uh, as the idol Moloch, and both of these the, these forms of idolatry basically required child sacrifice where a person would throw their children into sort of a, a fire and uh, burn their children alive. And that was what the Jewish people were doing. That's how sort of bad a state the Jewish people were in. They, were, they would put idols in the temple, um, in, in the Beit HaMikdash. They would burn their own children alive, uh, which God says, you know, I didn't teach you to do such things. And um, then the Haftorah really gets into quite a bit of criticism of the Jewish people that basically the Jewish corpses will be food for birds and wild animals and the animals won't be afraid of human beings anymore. And uh, then God will eliminate the sounds of joy from the bride and the groom from the streets of Yerushalayim. And basically the land will be completely in ruin because of all the sins that the Jewish people have done. And it gets even worse. It says the bones of the Jewish priests, prophets, and other inhabitants of, of Jerusalem, that they will be removed, taken out of their grave, and their bones will be spread out under the sun, the moon, the stars, basically taken out of the ground and just thrown thrown about on the earth and be exposed to the elements, to the sun, the moon, the stars. Um, and the Haftorah kind of hints at some irony here. It says the, the bones will be, uh, you know, out with the sun, the moon, the stars, which they worshipped. So these bones, these people, when they were alive, they worshipped the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it says sort of as a sick, um, ironic payback, God is going to basically take their bones, those people that worshipped all the, the, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, and display them um, and, and sort of expose them to the elements, expose them to the sun, the moon, the stars. And, um, you, you know, they basically saying you worship these things when you were alive. So now you're going to be, uh, punished by basically having your bones not be buried, but rather exposed to, uh, these sort of, um, celestial beings, uh, even when you're dead. And it says the bones will be like dung on earth. Um, and, but it even gets worse than that. It says, you know, even if you're, uh, unfortunately someone that dies and has his bones just thrown about on the ground, exposed to the elements, um, death will still be preferable to life because, uh, in life you're going to be captive. You're going to be in exile. You're going to be always sort of threatened and chased by the other nations. And that's going to be such a terrible existence that the Haftor says it would better, you know, you're going to wish that you were actually dead and just one of those bones that was exposed to the elements. So a lot of harsh criticism here. Then um, it says the, the Haftorah ends 
Um, and even the uh, even Chabad reads the, uh, this ending. So uh, the Torah ends by saying, "Ko Amar Hashem Al Yitalel Chacham Bachamato Va'al Yitalel Hagibor Bigvurato Va'al Yitalel Ashir Ba'ashro." And what that means is that um, you know uh, don't let your wisdom, you know, if if you're if you're wise, don't praise your don't praise yourself with wisdom. If you're strong, don't praise yourself with your strength. If you're rich, don't praise yourself with your wealth. And the commentaries explain the reason for this is because wisdom, strength, and wealth, all of these things, are decreed um, on a person before they're even born. And it's foolish to brag about something that was completely unearned. So because your wisdom, strength, and wealth were sort of already predetermined before a person was born, to flaunt these things, to show them off, to, to, to praise yourself with them is foolish because you did nothing to earn them. And then the Haftorah switches to a more sort of constructive criticism. And it says, um, the only thing that you should glorify yourself with is just one thing, Haskil ot that you should glorify yourself with content with contemplating and knowing me meaning contemplating and knowing God that uh, basically the idea is that praising God knowing God etc that's the only thing that's really earned in life and interestingly I'm learning um, the Agmara and Kedushin now that had talks about this idea that a Torah scholar is somebody that basically owns his own Torah that a Torah scholar is so in touch with the Torah that it's almost like the Torah scholar acquire, acquires the Torah. And it's saying that the, I think it's a similar idea that the Haftorah is saying here that, um, that really only through sort of like knowing God, only by Torah, Torah study is something that is genuinely, you can genuinely own. And all these other things, wisdom, wealth, strength, these things that are already assigned to you. And basically the only way that you can, you can sort of make these things, wisdom, wealth, and strength into something that are yours is by, uh, in the context of Torah study and through that Torah study, through that lens, you're able to, um, basically transform those things that were predetermined into something that is actually genuinely yours and that you're able to praise yourself. So if you want to praise yourself, the only real way to do it is by earning it. And the only thing that is able to be earned is basically by knowing and contemplating uh, God. So uh, with that, I will uh, recap some of the things I talked about. So I first mentioned this half Torah is very rarely read because usually the uh, uh, Parshat Sav is, coincides with Shabbos Agadol or Parshat Zachor or Parshat Para. Uh, so very unusual that this half Torah is read. But it is read this year. So um, the Aftorah begins by saying, add your korban ola to your shlamim. And what's fascinating here, um, and, and eat their meat. And what's fascinating here is the korban ola is, uh, in the Torah, it says you're not allowed to eat the korban ola. The korban ola is entirely burned, um, entirely consumed by fire, and you're not allowed to eat any of it. But it's but the idea is here is that basically it's better that you just eat the meat because burning it is a waste. Burning it in in the right context, it's not a waste. In the right context, it can provide atonement. But the Jewish people, it, it was so insincere when they were bringing the korban ola at this period of time, 
it was better that they didn't waste the meat by burning it. It was better that they just ate it and forget about the sacrifice. That's how sort of harsh, that, that's how bad a shape the Jewish people were in, that it was better that they not even bring a sacrifice and at least use the meat for something constructive like eating it. Um, and, uh, and, and I mentioned how sort of the whole idea of a korban is karov to come close. So if you're not actually coming close to God, then basically bringing the korban ola is so pointless. It's, it's again, just better to eat for dinner than it is to burn as a sacrifice. Um, and I mentioned how sort of insincere teshuva is not really, uh, teshuva, insincere repentance doesn't really work. So moving on, um, then the Haftorah says, I didn't command your ancestors to bring sacrifice. I only commanded them uh, that I will be a God for you. And what's fascinating here is that um, is, is uh, basically that when the Jewish people, you know, got out of Egypt, they first encountered in Parshat Mishpatim all of the interpersonal laws, the laws about how to take care of an orphan, a widow, um, a poor person, how, what to do with, you know, uh, with a slave, um, what to do if, you know, there's a thief, how to treat animals, all these different laws, all these different interpersonal laws were brought before these lofty ideas of sacrifices that are found in like our, uh, for example, our, to, our, our Torah portion of Parshat Tzav. Um, and the idea being that basically the foundation of all of Judaism is these interpersonal laws. And if you don't have these interpersonal laws in place, then you can't just skip to the korbanot because the korbanot are totally useless, totally insincere, uh, if they're not brought in the context of, you know, following all of the, um, all those laws first. And I mentioned how Parshat Mishpatim starts, you know, with the word lifnehem before them being that the interpersonal laws come before the, um, the interpersonal laws come before the, uh, the, the these sort of lofty, uh, you know, laws about sacrifices. So, and then the Haftorah says, your ancestors didn't listen, but they followed their evil heart. And you actually, it says, um, that you actually went backwards, not forwards. The idea being here that it's possible to go backwards if you're not doing it sincerely. It's possible that you're sort of going to say, well, at least I'm bringing all these sacrifices. I can't be that bad of a person. And that will actually bring you backwards, not forwards. Um, and it says, the Aftora says, you know, they wouldn't listen to my prophets. And you're even worse than your forefathers, again, because you're going backwards. And the Aftora says, you won't accept Musar. You won't accept criticism. And uh, the idea of being there that, you know, a person that can accept criticism is able to at least change their ways. But if you won't even accept criticism, then you're totally pointless. You know, you're, 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 you're helpless if you're not able to adjust. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mentioned how later in Yermia, not in Araf Torah, but later in Yermia talks about how, or the beginning of the, the uh, sorry, the beginning of the chapter of Yermia talks about how outside of the Beit HaMikdash, the people, they would murder, they would steal, they'd do idolatry. Um, and inside the Beta Migdash, they would believe that they'd be, they were saved, you know, but it doesn't work that way. It's totally insincere to show up to the Beta Migdash if you just think that's sort of a, a get out of jail free card. Um, and God is willing to even destroy his own home if it means that basically the Jewish people won't be able to sort of insincerely bring their, uh, their offerings anymore. The Haftorah moves on by saying you should tear out the long hair of the Nazir. I mentioned how the Nazir 
his distinctive feature is the fact that he grows out long hair and he he doesn't drink wine, he isn't near dead bodies. And the Nazir in this time, they were insincere. Um, they would, you know, the Nazir it, in, in its purest form is a way to bring about repentance um, and piety. But, uh, but in this period of time, there were people that would grow out their hair, um, but just sort of to look good. Um, you know, to, to look like they were pious, but they weren't actually pious people. So the Haftorah is saying it's better just to rip out the hair of the Nazir, their defining feature, because it was so insincere. Moving on, um, it says they put idols, the, the Jewish people would put idols in the, te- in the temple, in the Beit HaMikdash, and they would burn their children to Topet. Um, and I talked about how Topet was basically this, this idol worship that people would do child sacrifices to. They would burn their own children alive in fire uh, to serve God. To, to serve God, And that was so sort of anathema to um, the Jewish ideal that, that basically uh, God punishes them in this long description uh, that the corpses, that the Jewish corpses, that there'll be food for birds and wild animals. No animals will be afraid of human beings anymore that God will eliminate the sounds of joy from the bride and the groom from the streets of Yerushalayim, and the land will be left in total ruin. The bones of the Jewish priests, prophets, inhabitants, that they will be taken out from the grave and basically spread out under, the, you know, exposed to the elements, under the sun, the moon, the stars. Um, and uh, the, the Haftorah sort of mentions the irony here that the Jewish people, when they were living, they were worshiping the sun, the moon, and the stars. And sort of in a sick, twisted, uh, ironic punishment, God is going to basically take their bones and expose them to those things, the sun, the moon, and the stars, those things that they worshiped while they were alive to sort of make a mockery of the fact that they worshiped them. And it says the bones will be like dung on earth, but it gets even worse. It says death this terrible death of your bones being exposed to the elements, that that is, you know, if you're alive, your death will be even preferable to life because as a, in, uh, in life, you're going to be captive, you're going to be in exile, you're going to be, um, you know, always sort of uh, chased around by the other nations and you're going to wish that you were dead and basically your bones were even exposed to the elements would be preferable to living a life in exile. It says, then we get to more of a hopeful note, uh, more kind of a constructive criticism. It says, don't bother, don't, don't let your wisdom, don't praise yourself with your wisdom. Or don't let the strong person praise himself with his strength. Don't let the rich person praise himself with his wealth. Because wisdom, strength, and wealth, these are things that are decreed, um, that are decided before a person is even born. So it's foolish to brag about something that is completely unearned. And then the Haftorah concludes by saying, you can only glorify yourself really with one thing, haskil viadua oti, that um, by contemplation and knowledge of God, those are the only things that is really truly earned in life. And I mentioned how in, in Kedushin, it says a Torah scholar sort of owns his own Torah, that basically this idea of, of a person really contemplates the Torah, it's like they own their own Torah, unlike things like wisdom, strength, and wealth that are just uh, given to you even before you're born, um, so there's no reason to brag about them, but uh, your knowledge of God as a, you know, and, and your ability as a Torah scholar, that's something 
that um, you yourself sort of create, you yourself have ownership over, and only those things that you own, so to speak, are you allowed to brag about. But something just given to you, something unearned, like wisdom, strength, and wealth, that's pointless to brag about. So with that, I'll read my poem. Hashem cries out in despair to rip out the Nazir's hair. Our bones will be exposed to the stars. The knowledge of God is the only thing that's ours. And with that, l'chaim l'chaim, and this has been the whole Haftorah.